and action. Who made a sound? Who made a fucking sound? Oh, actually, that, that I feel like that character could be you. <laughs> Probably. Maybe beep that out. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> or just don't I mean, use it. I, I think you you curse in every single episode so far. So I think nothing has really changed <laughs> since any for any other episode we have done. I usually wait until we get further in the episode, though. The it feels less bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's very um, adequate for this episode, I would say, because this this movie definitely starts off with a bang, I would say. Oh, my God. I mean, for- literally, the elephant just exploding on someone's face. I was not prepared. I saw this with my parents okay. <laughs> on Christmas Eve. <laughs> nice. A choice. I I think the guy next to me when I was watching this film, he was very vocal. So when the, <laughs> the first scene, when the elephant defecated on the guy, he was like, whoa. I was like, what? Okay. all right. I mean, sure. That is, that is an a- adequate reaction. But I just thought it was funny that like, he just randomly made that noise. I mean, I just can't believe they made like accurate elephant anus that they actually shot. Like it was like somebody in the props department had to make that. Props to them. Props to them. Yeah. Wild yeah. movie. Anyways, let's, let's jump into this. Yes. Let's. Welcome to Concession Impressions, the podcast where we watch a film and then we immediately review it. Today, we're going to review the film... Babylon by Damien Chazelle. It's a hard movie now, to I, overview. Yeah, I don't know. Exactly. I realize now why the trailer kind of sucked. Because how do you make a trailer for a movie like this? It's an ensemble. You know what I would have done, actually? I think I would have maybe taken an approach like a more generic. I mean, it kind of does take a more generic approach, but maybe just like focus on like the filmmaking part of the film rather Mm -hmm. than like trying to introduce all the characters in the trailer. Kind of like what the Oppenheimer trailer is doing. I guess. But the thing is with the Oppenheimer um, thing is it, it, I feel like that movie is going to be more focusing just on that character and how he's dealing with the creation of the bomb and like the fear of what the bomb will bring, but also the fear of not being able to finish the bomb in time to try to end the war. So I think mm. it's going to be that's going to be an interesting thing because it's like really going to be focusing on that one character. Well, for this one, I think it I is would more of an on, ensemble. Yeah, yeah, but I, I I will get into this later. But I think that filmmaking or films is like a character in this film as well yes i agree and i i would focus on that character the film character anyways i think you could edit a trailer that focused on the manny torres character because he has the most complete arc out of everyone but then i think you would have had a trailer that admitted that this was a tragedy and i don't think they wanted to admit that this was a tragedy sure i i can see that but to describe this film, I would say this is the new film by Damien Chazelle about 1920s Hollywood and filmmaking. It follows an ensemble cast, including Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, Tobey Maguire, uh, Diago Calva. 
Um, Olivia Jean Wilde. Smart. Olivia Wilde's barely in it, but she is in it in a funny role. Yeah, I mean, even Toby Maguire is also barely in it, but yeah. like, I would say the the main characters. But I mean, that's that's going too much into it. We're now just great. It's an ensemble cast, so there's a lot of people, even though they're sometimes there for just a second. He produced it, by the way, Toby Maguire. He did, yeah, yeah. I think it's kind of goes through all of the beats and hills and roads that Hollywood brings in the 1920s slash 1930s, you know, for the good and the bad. It kind of follows the lives of uh, this assembled cast and how they, in their various parts of their careers in Hollywood, and it kind of takes you through all their stories through the 1920s, 30s of Hollywood. I think that's maybe the my best way of describing it. But mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to if you want to try try out your hand at it, then go ahead. If not, then we can just jump into it. I mean, I think all I can say is the trailer is deeply misleading because it's really just a trailer for the first like 10 minutes of the film. You had really strong opinions for this trailer. So I want to ask you, does you think this trailer? I think this trailer sucked because I couldn't tell at all what the movie was about, which I think is what they wanted. But I think it was a mistake at the same time. Let's go into like a basic review of the film. Now, again, this movie, a fair warning, this movie is three hours and I think nine minutes. So it is another end of year three hour film. So mm-hmm. if you were like, I didn't want to watch bad, uh, I didn't want to watch Avatar because it's a three hour film. This film is also three hours. So just prepare yourself. And I think this film more than Avatar requires you to have seen a few other films. Yeah, La La Land, Whiplash. He really made you one have to watch all his other films for this. First Man, for some reason? I don't know. That part when... <laughs> not exactly. Down to, no, I'm just kidding. That's, that's not at all. No, I think you have to have a, uh, a sort of running knowledge of film history and have seen and i don't think this is really a big spoiler i think this is something they should have directly said in the trailer you have to have seen singing in the rain to really fully appreciate this film oh interesting i have actually never watched singing in the rain so really we'll we'll see if that affects my judgment of my ranking for this i mean this film this might be a spoiler (laughs) this film is basically just rehashing singing in the rain (laughs) But from a modern context. Interesting. And it's much darker. You know what? My initial review for this film, I was going to say without spoiling anything, is that it's pretty much La La Land on cocaine. Interesting. it's It's like a hyper crazy version of La La Land. That's rated R. I could sort of see that. I think it has has elements of La La Land, but I think those elements of La La Land that you're picking up are the things that La La Land took from things like Singing in the Rain. All right. So it sounds like you're picking up what I'm putting down, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think... <laughs> Let's fight. <laughs> no, no. I think that this this movie, though, here's the thing that, that I think the reasons why I thought of Babylon. One, not Babylon. I think Babylon is like La La Land. Is that one, the music is very... So I was in the movie theater watching it and I was thinking, huh, this music kind of sounds similar to La La Land at times. Oh, very much so. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, who who did this? And then I looked it up afterwards. Like, oh, it's it's also Justin Hurwitz. So it's like it's the same thing. They even have like in, in La La Land, there's like the Mia and Sebastian theme song. 
And then in this one, there's the Manny and what's her name? Uh, Nelly Leroy. Yeah, like the the Manny and and Nelly theme song. And then they'll have like different songs. There's they're also like called very similar things that have very similar beats to them. And like I don't know, I'm not a music major, so someone who who actually studies music can probably uh, chime in here better. But I I will say that for me, even who is someone who doesn't know music, I could tell that the soundtrack did sound very similar but also it's also about hollywood and it's about you know these people who are striving to become something in hollywood or in la right Mm -hmm. and just how in this one it has like manny who's also want to be in films and like all these different characters who want to be in films i would say that it's like la la land there are definite parallels yeah, because it's like it's like La La Land, but just adding more characters, and then everything is just crazier and and, and goes more off the rails. I, but also, think... it makes sense because it takes place in the twenties, and then La La Land takes place in like the early nineties or something like that, right? I, like it's more. more I can't modern. exactly tell when La <clears throat> when La La Land takes place. I think La La Land takes place primarily. Honestly, I don't know. It feels like one of those like just present time kind of films where it's sort of amorphous. But I think there are definite parallels between La La Land and Babylon. But the thing that gets constantly referenced throughout this movie, which maybe you didn't pick up because you haven't seen it, is Singing in the Rain. There's so many direct calls to Singing in the Rain throughout this movie. Even the Nellie Leroy character is just a blatant ripoff of one of the characters in Singing in the Rain. Okay, I mean- In a good way. <clears throat> not in a bad way. I, I'm not criticizing this at all. I think references are great. I think this shows the other side of the coin that Singing in the Rain doesn't. That's how I feel about this movie, is they kind of gotcha. are necessary sister films. Then would you say that you would recommend someone to go watch this in theaters? What would be your scoop metric for this? I think you have to see this in theaters, if not just for the last 15 minutes of the film. So you're saying <laughs> Those, two scoops then? Two scoops. Okay, I would say probably one scoop. Like, I can understand someone who wouldn't want to see. I think, like, compared to Avatar, which is something that's, like, I felt um, that was the movie that I was, like, you have to. It's, like, two scoops with sprinkles and, and, and everything, you know. It's, like, I think you have to watch that in theaters. If you don't watch it in theaters, then I think maybe don't even watch it at all kind of thing. Mm. But this one, I feel like you could watch it in theaters. I think it would be great. Again, also, like you said, especially for the last like 20 minutes, but those last 20 minutes were like amazing to me. Oh, I I was, I was blown out. I was a fish blown out of the water at that, at that point when the last time I was like, wow, this is a, I did not expect this, this last 20 minutes of an ending, which we're not going to spoil yet because we're not in the spoils area. Um, I think, yeah, it's like a take it or leave it for me. I think if you're a fan, for personally, I'm a fan of of this director. I've pretty much watched all his films, um, at least all of his big ones. And I personally am a fan, so I, I want to. I wanted to go watch this one, but I think if you're not a fan and you don't want to watch it for three hours and you're just kind of like somewhat interested, just wait for it to come out on, on streaming or just you know rent it at home or something like that in a few months when it comes to dvd or something i don't think you necessarily i don't know if i would push someone to just go watch it in theater i don't know i think if you want a truly unique theater experience 
and you are age appropriate, you know, to see this movie, <laughs> I think you should see it. I, I think you will. There are parts of this movie that just will not be as impactful on a smaller screen. And so for me, that is why I think you have to see it on the biggest screen possible, even when suffering the three hour timeline. Yeah, I think the, the music was great. I, I went home and was listening to music on the way back home. So like the music is excellent. I, I think Damien Chazelle has probably his most signature calling card as a director right now is his jazz influence for his scores. Yeah. And the thing is, I wish he leaned on that more in this film. That was the some of the stories that I thought that were really great. But let's go to the spoilers right now because I think I want to start talking more about those things. Agreed. Without having a tiptoe around them. All right, so we're going to be right back. Spoilers after this. You're been warned. And we're back. Wow, that's a long break. Now, I want to just say one thing first. I don't know, it's not a spoiler, but I just wanted to start off the spoiler section with this note. Is I don't know if I love this movie or if I hate this movie. Hmm. I'm sort of on the fence a little bit as well, but I think I lean slightly more love because it really, honestly, those last 15 minutes wrapped it up so well for me. I, I, I think if it didn't have those last 15 minutes, I could have hated it, <laughs> but I yeah. really loved those last 15 minutes. And I, I see why it took all of this previous Michigas <laughs> to get there. For me, I think the one thing that I think a lot of people are not going to like, and I think it kind of at times felt hitting at the film's rating for me, was the length of the film. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking throughout the film, like, do we need all of this story to get to the end? Like, do, would you possibly cut out a character from the story? I think that that would be the best way for me to, if I were to pitch it, how to get this the movie down. Like, would you cut out a character, um, their story from this? Because I think La La Land, for instance, it's like an hour and a half film or something. And it only focuses on the two main characters, Sebastian and Mia. Where in this one, it would be like the Manny and Margot Robbie's character. They're somewhat romance. I think that would be the that two characters. And I think they just add in a bunch of other characters to kind of go with it. Would you cut out any character? Or do you think it's like you can't cut out a character because all these characters tell a different part of the film and the movie business? So they I don't think I would cut out a character. Stories. I think you could tighten up many of the characters' storylines, though. There are certain scenes that rehash the same information over and over again. And I think you, you could edit this down to a two-and-a-half-hour movie, and it would feel significantly better. Gotcha. I'm not sure off the top of my head what I would cut at this moment, but like, mm-hmm. there are certain things that add nothing. Like, I, like the elephant scene adds very little for me personally in the really beginning yeah and there are scenes that are are indulgent like the party scene which we get like three times throughout the movie i think is indulgent every time and doesn't add that much you know once you've been in that for like a minute or two you kind of get it (laughs) yeah i think sometimes it's just like there's story and then there's spectacle yes like 
you would be like, there would be like a scene or two of story and getting to know a character. And then there'll be like a scene or two of just a party in this giant spectacle. And I, I really enjoyed the spectacle, but I don't know if I, yeah, I, I agree with you is at this point, I wouldn't know how I would tighten it up, but there's sometimes throughout the film that I was like, not losing interest at all, but more or less like, let's move on because, because there's yeah. so much spectacle. Like I was kind of like forgetting or losing track of the characters and where their progress are, especially since it kind of sometimes jumps from different stories or rather like different characters focusing on more different characters at certain points mm-hmm. more than others. So then it's like, wait, what's who's where and what's going on kind of thing. And then it'll be like, okay, here's another party. And then you're just like going crazy again. And you're like, Oh, cool, cool. So I think that was a, like one thing, especially so like the middle part for me was like a little bit or it, maybe it drags. But, yeah. I think what the main issue really is, is not, this might be a controversial opinion. Maybe what could fix this film is to actually add something and not remove something is to add a, a like, a layer of high concept because that's what really kind of adds to that meandering problem of this movie is that there's nothing driving the plot really Mm. it's just all these characters kind of lives over the course of a certain time period so Mm. if you had a a layer like and this is a weird left field example but another what is called a low concept film. That's what this is. It's technically a low concept film because it has, it's focused on these characters. It's not focused on a, a plot like save the city or deliver the package or whatever. So a a movie that is a low concept film that manages to also have a, a layer of high concept that drives the film forward is something like little miss sunshine, which you have all these characters, which are the main focus of the plot and the story but then you also have this one to plot device which is they have to get to this little miss sunshine pageant um so that the daughter can perform which you don't really give a shit about it's just a macguffin basically or it's not even really a macguffin because it's not like anyone really desires it other than the little girl um but it's something that drives the plot forward (laughs) and so if there was something like i don't know if Diego Calva's character, Manny Torres, had a, you know, he, he was working towards getting a film made. And that's that's his whole character arc is he is going to get this film made. Maybe that would be something. Well, I don't know. I think that's, I don't know. I kind of feel like they kind of led up to that. But they never say it, though. They never give him, a, like, his dream is just to be on set. And he achieves yeah. that by the 30-minute mark. I think that's the the point of the film is that everyone's dream is to be in Hollywood. And I think in La La Land, the, the thing was like, can they make it and get their dream? Or is their love getting in the way of that? While in this one, it's like, we want to get their dream and we're going to get there. And there are all these characters are fighting for their dream. They all get it. And then they realize, is that what they want? And they all kind of have to decide how they want to continue with it. And they mm. all like kind of choose different things. For instance, like Brad Pitt's character, he wants to push film because in the beginning he's like, I want to push film and, and do things that haven't been done before. And he's like kind of more or less excited about, you know, audio for like for film. Yeah. And then he realizes at the end he's more not, it's not meant for him or the film's not meant for him. He's like not really 
seen as this big star anymore that he used to be. So he ends up taking his leave. Mm-hmm. You know, well, with I think. A bang. Well, his character sort of represents all the people who get who who lose because of the technological change there, right? So, like, there were all these actors who were great during the silent film era, who grew up in vaudeville and in performing arts of a of a different kind than mm-hmm. what we now consider like stage acting, which is what most acting is nowadays. So you're thinking of things like slapstick and and Charlie Chaplin's early works and and the Marx brothers, where the whole point of the movie is that they're moving silly and they can hit their mark and they can do a pose and convey character through specific poses instead of like speaking and having character depth and relationships and stuff like that through words. And so his final wife represents the newer age of acting, the stage acting. Is there anything that from this film that really caught your eye? So I was curious if you, uh, so I have this theory going that Margot Robbie's popularity and the kind of characters she's getting cast as are a sort of direct reaction to all of the manic pixie dream girls over the last 20 years. And I think she is the manic pixie nightmare girl. And that's how she's subverting these these tropes and i'm curious if that's going to continue for her career in these next movies she's getting i mean what do you think of her in this movie and do you agree with me that she is a manic pixie nightmare girl so if you're not familiar do you are you familiar with the manic pixie dream girl trope pretend that i'm not okay so the manic pixie dream girl trope is essentially a female character uh who is written to be the object of desire for a man who has no wants or desires really of her own, except maybe something that's sort of like a one-track-minded desire that's not her real desire, because her real desire is ultimately to be this object of affection for for the male character and for the male gaze. And she's always this like over-the-top, crazy, colorful, creative character. And through her interactions with the main character, who's a male, the male ends up better off in the end by having met her. And the trope subversion here, I think, is in this manic pixie nightmare girl situation, the men around Margot Robbie's characters always end up worse as a result of her manic pixiness, which is an interesting subversion. And I think she's really the only one doing it right now. I definitely agree with you with that statement. I don't know if I like it necessarily. Not that I like the pixie girl kind of trope, but... I don't know. I think in this movie, taking this movie as an example, I think she was my least favorite character out of all the ensemble cast. Interesting. Um, I think halfway through, I was kind of just like, I'm kind of done with this character in a way. I think you can tell quite early on where her character is going to end up. Yeah, I think this the, the characters that had a, such an interesting story were the ones that I felt like didn't get touched upon too much. Like, the the saxophone player i think he's a saxophone player but the mm. the musician guy i think had such an issue like i really wanted to see more of that one scene was just traumatic yeah it would and it was perfect it was such a great scene i mean it was terrible like it's a terrible uh, so the scene we're referencing is a scene where he is asked to go in blackface even though he is a black man he's asked to darken his skin so that 
he looks blacker on camera. Yeah, it was, I think it it was terrible, but it was a perfect scene. Like it was filmed really well. You can see, you can literally watch on the film his dreams be just torn out of him and he's just like he's done with it you know Mm -hmm. which is great i don't know i thought it was an interesting character night i think he was a really interesting character although i i sort of think damien did it again by ignoring him (laughs) because this is a criticism in uh la la land as well right uh and also whiplash is that jazz is something damien chazelle uses quite a lot but also tends to ignore the people who actually made jazz. <laughs> yeah. I think he, I would want to see him make like a jazz movie. What did you think of Jean Smart's character's um, monologue? The one that she gave to Brad Pitt. Jean Smart is playing Eleanor St. John. She's the reporter. The critic, right? Yeah. Um, the, the Hollywood journalist. And she gives him that epic speech I, I think that speech is excellent where she talks about cockroaches and how in the industry, the only people that survive are the cockroaches. Like you, you said before, and I kind of expanded on, which I think like the last 30 minutes of the film was really great. I think like it's really him really just talking about how he feels about Hollywood. And that speech, I think, is something that I think he probably was really passionate about. And it was like, hey, this is how I see Hollywood. La La Land is like a a dream version of like what he hoped maybe um, Hollywood was more like, but this is like him critiquing it in a way, but then also saying like, let me show you all the horrors of Hollywood actually. But then at the really end be like, Hey, I, you know, I made my career kind of on showing the, the like love hate relationship with, with film and, and Hollywood specifically. But so I want to just remind you that, I do love film and film is such a beautiful thing. And here's this little like crazy ending to this film. But throughout it, he's also saying these are all these other crazy bad points about Hollywood. And I think that was also tying into what I wanted to say, which was that that's kind of how I felt about this film, which is that like it's really like his critique on Hollywood. Yeah, I, I sort of see it as a critique. I sort of see it as a as a conversation, as, as another sentence on Hollywood, forming sort of a, a, a longer discussion that's being had by many film directors right now. You know, I think you could compare this movie to something like Tarantino's last movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think yeah. there's, a, there's a conversation to be had between those two movies. There's a conversation between this movie and Singing in the Rain, which Singing in the Rain was its own sort of conversation about Hollywood as it's literally talking about the same time period of people moving from the silent movies to the talkies. And then going back to early, early movies that discussed Hollywood as well, you know? And I think, I think it's like a, like, it's more of a like fair warning, you know, like a, if you want to come here, here's, here's some tea, (laughs) tea being spilt on it. You know, that's true. Like it's not all glamour. It is doing these crazy parties sometimes and then waking up for a 7 a.m. call the next day and getting to set. And the only people that survive are those people who can, you know, if you're, this is specifically more for actors, but the only people who can survive that are the people who can get the shot immediately. You can't Mm -hmm. wait. You have to be, 
you know, you have to have, you can have all the craziness behind you, you know, the drunkenness, the drugs, the whatever, the manic attitude. But if you can't get the shot, you'll be gone. Even if you're the one producing the film, you still have to get the shot. And then for the cockroaches, which I think are all the people who are working behind the camera primarily, the point is to be behind the camera and not flirt too much with the with the people in front of it. And mm-hmm. the first, the more you become in front of the camera, the more likely you are to end sort of as Manny Torres' character, flirting too much with danger. Interesting. I don't know. I think, I think Manny's there's, character... Yeah. I will say that really quickly, actually, that the part where Manny goes to get the camera, yeah. trying to get the camera before the sun sets... Relatable. That related to me so much, trying to get an edit out, like we have a deadline we have to get this edit out before end of the day and i'm just like i mean i'm not literally rushing through town but like you know rushing through my program cutting things and be like all right all right we gotta i need to find a new soundtrack because they don't like this music and then you know this is due tonight and then just cutting it and then getting it done and be like wow i i did it i i I met the deadline yeah it's a classic hollywood story everyone has those in hollywood yeah so, which is another reason I think, why I think you have to watch this movie if you have any aspirations of being in Hollywood or if you are at all a lover of film, because so often these people that make the films get no recognition whatsoever. Gotcha. Like yeah. how many people, how many, how many production assistants are you following on, uh, you know, following their careers, even though one day they might become Spielberg or whatever. They're just a production assistant right now. Yeah, that's true. But I think on that note, I I want to ask you, because you said right now about how if you're a fan of this, I think you should definitely watch it. What would you rank this film? Because I really want to know, actually. I'm really curious because I, I, going into this, I was like, I'm either going to give this one of two scores and it's like either really high or really low. So what would your concession impression be of this film concession your concession impression concession yeah which snack would it be (laughs) tongue twister yeah so i i think i went in really skeptical of this movie i thought i was going to hate it based off this trailer because i hated the trailer so much and damien chazelle specifically is sort of a a director i have a love-hate relationship with because i love whiplash i think whiplash is like pretty much a perfect movie uh, but then I'm I'm sort of less thrilled about things like La La Land and First Man. And so I, I kind of wondered if he was going to be sort of a one-off, one-hit wonder kind of director for a while. But this movie renews my my faith in him a little bit. Okay. I, I genuinely really enjoyed this movie. Uh, even mm-hmm. though I, I think I agree with you, it's too long. And there are things that should be cut maybe to make it shorter. Although I'm not entirely sure what, which is also an interesting sign because normally I know exactly what I would want to cut, but I I don't know if I can pinpoint it. And I I feel like maybe I'm reacting certain ways, like unpleasant ways, because that's how I'm supposed to be reacting. Is there are lots of unpleasantries to to the Hollywood life and to filmmaking in general. Although I don't think it's as bad as this movie portrays it as. <laughs> just to be honest <laughs> i mean it's i've never it's, had to like literally yeah I, I think it's more reflecting i thought more on like the early 
history of of film, right? The 20s, the 30s, the 40s. At the time, those studios were literally all mobbed up and there were drugs everywhere and it was a lot worse for sure. But I, I do think any movie that's made today is sort of a reflection of today anyway. And I think there is elements like maybe the, the the sort of media cycle is a reflection of today's media cycle still and sort of the sensationalism of it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. The more I think about this movie, the more I like it, which is a good sign. And I really love those 10 minutes at the end. <laughs> yeah, that, that was such a great... I want to just watch that part again for sure. Yeah. I think for for my review... I have to decide now. So, I didn't even give my concession impression oh, yet. That's right. You didn't even give it. I just, you just, I kind of just. Thought but I think I, you can I, tell where I'm going. I, yeah, I yeah, do think it's it. a peanut M and M for me, which I'm shocked Ooh. about. But I do think this, this may end up being one of my favorite movies of the year. Interesting. Okay. I, I think I was either gonna give it Raisinets or peanut m&ms because something about it when i watched was like i'm just kind of so confused i don't know what where to place my opinion yet but i think as you said as i kind of sat on this going going back home and everything um and it kind of started to settle i think the more it's settling and the more we talk about it and everything i think it's like okay i think i'm do like this film more and more like you said so I also want to watch it again, I think. I think that might be my Me too. Out. So, and I think thinking about that, I'm like, well, if it makes me want to watch this film again, then I think it's doing a good job as well. So I think I'm also going to give it peanut M&Ms. And I think it's really it's a film, which is interesting because I actually thought you were going to give it a low score. So I was like, <laughs> oh, maybe if I give it peanut M&Ms, then like it was going to be such an opposing rating. But it's funny that we ended up both thought we were going to hate this film, but we both came in and we both came out of it watched uh giving it both peanut m&ms which is the highest ranking for everyone out there peanut m&ms is number one and then it's popcorn hot dog and then raisin nets i mean just make better trailers people the trailer for this really was just abysmal yeah it was a good film i actually i mean i'm a fan of all of his films so it's maybe mm-hmm. yeah but i thought you were going to give it a low score because you seem to be hating on it most of this episode <laughs> Or at oh, least yeah, criticizing yeah. it. That's but maybe thing, like, you criticize the things you love. I don't know. I guess. I don't that's what I was thinking. I was hoping I, I, I made it made you tense, you know, just like the film, you know, you never know where it's gonna take you, but in the end it had like that peanut M M&M M flavor. So mm-hmm. um I mean I like there, there are scenes in here that I think will be remembered as some of the best scenes in cinema history. Which, you know, like perhaps Perhaps it won't be remembered as like one of the hundred greatest films of all time or whatever, because the whole product maybe isn't perfect, but Mm -hmm. I really love those last 10 minutes. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I I know we we talked about it. We mentioned it several times. I don't know if we even want to like, I don't want to. No, just go see it. It's hard to even explain. Yeah. You can't, it's, it's just the, it, it, it's pure cinema. Yeah. I would say it's like, it's like a love note kind of mm-hmm. little ending bow to this end of this movie. So, okay. Can I give you homework? Sure. <laughs> homework. I don't always do homework, so. Well, even okay. In school, You're an so. adult. You can cut this out. <laughs> I want to see your reaction after you've seen Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain? 
yeah, I think you should post, you should watch Singing in the Rain sometime in the next couple of days and record your your concession impression, your solo concession impression of Singing in the Rain and then post that like 10 minute clip at the end of this episode after the after the credits. Okay. And if I don't watch it in time, then I'm going to I'll post it in another one. I'll, Perfect. I'll start the episode and oh, oh, maybe we'll start the episode talking about singing in the rain. Perfect. Okay. Sounds good. Let's end this one here. And Bye. See. You.